Well, uh, about 15 years ago, um, I was in a situation in life. I had been on staff at a church. It was a great church. Loved the church. Loved the people there. Thought I'd be there for a long time. And I remember having a conversation with the lead pastor, and he said, hey, we're going to be reconfiguring the staff and, and reorganizing how we, uh, how we operate. And so um, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. I said, give me the bad news first. He said, the bad news is in reconfiguring the staff, we're eliminating your position. I said, okay, uh, what's the good news? He said, the good news is I think you're ready to be a senior pastor. I think uh, it's what God's called you to. It's his purpose for your life. I think you need to start looking for something. I said, well, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm excited about that. It's what I've always felt God had for uh, me in ministry. I said, what's the timeline on this? He said, well, hopefully you could find something in six months. And I immediately thought, well, I know the pace at which churches move. Uh, hiring a senior pastor, they probably won't even have their first committee meeting in six months. So I thought there, there may be a gap here. He said, don't worry about it. We're going to take care of you. And, and I said, great. And, and, um, and so about, that was in, in late summer or you know, midsummer, and so it's not now January. It's about six months later, and uh, and I've got resumes out. I've been flying to different churches. We're living up in North Idaho. You guys think you know what cold is? You know, we just had cold, and you didn't have cold. We had snow, you didn't have snow. Okay, North Idaho is cold and snow from, um, well, let's see, Jamie's, my wife Jamie, her parents still live there, and they had snow in September, like, I don't know, 12 inches. Um, and then it goes away in, in July. It's no. <laughs> So uh, my, my position's wrapping up. The, the pastor says, hey, why don't you preach uh, on this Sunday? It'll be your last Sunday. I said, I don't have anything. He said, we'll take up an offering. And the people were very generous, and it helped fill the, the blanks. But I had this time when I'm waiting uh, for a next position to open up. And, uh, and I'm the kind of person, if I have a gap in life. I tend to fill it. Sometimes that's not a healthy thing, but that's the way I'm oriented. So I'm like, I have gaps and I need to fill my time. And so a friend of mine owns a roofing company. And again, we're in North Idaho and they have snow there. And he says, Hey, I need some help. I said, what's up? He said, um, we got to go shovel all the snow off the Walmart building or the roof is going to collapse. That's what I mean about snow. And, uh, and I said, great, I, I'll do whatever I need money and, um, I'm got time. So there I am on the roof of the Walmart shoveling snow. It's just the most bizarre thing. I, one of the most bizarre things I've ever experienced because if you've never been on the roof of a Walmart shoveling snow, you need to really do that. Um, and so, so there I am, and I'm thinking, I've got a doctor of ministry degree, no job. I'm freezing my tail off shoveling snow. And as I'm thinking this, crying out to God saying, come on, let's get, the phone rings. And I say, I'm, stop, I'm not shoveling snow. It's a church that I had interviewed with. And uh, so I'm talking to them and said, hey, um, we, we just wanted to reach out to you. You were here a couple weeks ago, interviewed. We, we want to offer you the position. And I said, I'll take it. Uh, anything's better than shoveling snow. Uh, I said, well, um, thank you. I, I appreciate that. We talked for a bit. My wife and I, we had already talked about it. We prayed about it. We said, if that church calls, we didn't feel peace about going there. So I, did, I said, I, I, don't, I, I, said, I don't, don't want to drag things out. I, I don't feel it's the right fit for me and, uh, and for us. And he said, well, I understand that. Um, but let me just tell you, uh, you know what the salary is? We can increase it. I said, well, how much? Um, they were already offering $100,000 a year. And, and he said, well, we could probably go like to $125,000. I'm shoveling snow on Walmart. And I said, well, I said, I said, I appreciate your generosity. I really do. 
I said, but you don't want me if I'm just coming for a paycheck. I said, I, I don't feel it's, it's the right fit. If I come for the paycheck, then I'm going to leave when there's a better opportunity, and I, I don't want to do that. And he said, we understand, and, and it was fine, no hard, hard feelings, anything like that. So why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because so much of our culture is oriented to closing the deal, getting the big paycheck, making the salary, being able to say you arrived. Listen, I would love to make that much. I've never made that much money in my life. I don't make that much money now, lest you think, you know, he came to Delaware to really, um, you know, cash in. Um, <laughs> no. But that's what we think because our culture is oriented towards stuff. And so what I want to do in this short little series is talk about how do we find freedom in our finances, freedom from our finances. See, culture will tell you that you need to, to be oriented towards getting stuff. And God has a different way of talking about stuff, about finances, about possessions. If you adopt what culture says, what you're going to end up finding is that stuff, finances, possessions end up controlling you. If you adapt and, ad and adopt and, and take on God's philosophy, God's approach to finances, to possessions, to stuff, then what you're going to find is you control your stuff. But really, ultimately, you don't control your stuff. Because if you apply God's word to your life, what you're doing is you're submitting your life to God. So really, ultimately, what it comes down to is who's going to control your life. Is stuff going to control your life or is God going to control your life? But make no mistake, something is going to control your life. This is what Paul wrote. He's writing to this, the, the Christians that are in Corinth, the city of Corinth, and he says this, I have the right to do anything. I have money. I have possessions. I earn a paycheck. I've got uh, increase in, in, my, in my possessions. I can do anything with it I want. That's what people will say. I can do anything that I want. And what he says is, you're right, you can. But just because you can do it doesn't make it beneficial. Not everything is beneficial. It's not helpful. It won't help you to become the person you want to be, to accomplish the plans and purposes God has for your life. But some people will say, but it's still my stuff. I have the right to do anything with it that I want. And Paul says, you're right, you can. But depending on what you do with the stuff is going to determine who's in control of your life. Because he says, I will not be mastered by anything. I have one master, one leader, one Lord, one Savior, the man, Jesus Christ. So either God is in control of my life or something else is controlling my life. And when it comes to finances, if we live by what culture says, ultimately you're going to be controlled by stuff. And you say, that's not true. So let me give you an example. Uh, and, and actually two. So if, let's say, you know, you're, you've made some mistakes financially. You've missed some opportunities, some investments. Somebody said, man, this company, Apple, you got to buy some stock in it. You say, I never Apple. That's ridiculous. Uh, uh, you know, Microsoft, nobody's going to, personal computers in everybody's house. That doesn't even make sense. Amazon, nobody's going to shop online. That's never going to happen. They're going to go to the mall. And, and you missed out on all those opportunities. And what happens? You end up having regret, guilt, envy, the people that took advantage of those moments, that didn't miss those opportunities. Or maybe you're the person who didn't miss those opportunities. You took advantage of it. You invested. You saved. You had some um, you know, good returns on things. And, and you uh, ended up having an increase. And you had great profit margins and all those kind of things. And so instead of it filling you with greed and envy and shame, and, and you're filled with pride and, and arrogance and uh, greed. This is mine. I've earned this. 
And so what happens is you end up being controlled by those things. If you've, if you've missed those opportunities, you say, oh, man, I'm, I should have done better. And if you've taken advantage of those opportunities, you often walk around saying, I am better. I'm better than those idiots. Look, they missed those. I told them. I told my parents. They didn't listen. You walk around thinking you're better than them. And neither one of those things are God's voice. God doesn't say you should have done better. God says you can be better. You can change. God doesn't say you're better than someone. He says you're walking in my blessing and enjoy it. But it doesn't make you better than someone else. Because in Job, it says, in Job 121, it says, The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You may be walking in my blessing right now and have an abundance, but that's temporary. That's not really what it's all about. So when it comes to applying God's word to our life, particularly when, with our financial philosophy, if you apply God's financial philosophy to your life, what happens is he begins to change us first inwardly. Inward truth produces outward change. God always works from the inside out. So all of a sudden, you apply God's word, and he replaces guilt with forgiveness. He, he, uh, he, he replaces shame with hope. He, he, he replaces uh, envy with purpose. I've got a purpose. I've got a future. There's an opportunity. He replaces pride with humility, arrogance with grace, self-sufficiency with generosity. And all of a sudden, our entire makeup is changed. And that's true in any area of life, specifically with our finances. So what is it? Why is it that we are so oriented towards defaulting to what culture says? It's because we believe that what culture says is true. So what I want to do is this morning, I just want to look at two of the major, not the only ones, but the major differences between what culture says about what our financial philosophy ought to be and what the Word of God says. And so here's the first one. Culture says that stuff will bring you joy. Stuff will bring you joy. Bigger is better. If some is good, more is better. <laughs> I, shout out to my dad. He's watching online. He just took, uh, not, say took he, he arranged for my entire family, not just my immediate family, not just my wife and my kids, but all my siblings, seven of us, all their kids to go on a family cruise. It was a great time, but I'm telling you, if you've ever been on a cruise, if some is good, more is better. I mean, you know, one dessert's good, 18 is better. Um, and you can get them all day. I mean, you want dessert, you just I want that dessert. Oh, no problem, Mr. Sennessy. And here comes the dessert. You know, steak is good, more steak is better. Steak for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What could be better than that? Uh, except for when you want one at midnight snack. Then you just give me a steak. I mean, you know... Uh, I mean, you just watch people. I mean, they're just overindulging. And for a week on vacation, you indulge. It's fine. But that's our culture in everything. More is good. More is better. Bigger, better, greater. Newer TV, bigger TV, bigger house, newer car, bigger portfolio, more investment properties. Grow, grow, grow. More, more, more. Because we're convinced the more we get, the more joy we'll have. It'll somehow alleviate the emptiness that I feel inside. It will somehow give me a sense of purpose or identity or fulfillment or say I've arrived at some place. Look, once my bottom line is this, I know people that will check their 401k status every day. I mean, listen, I know the market fluctuates. It doesn't fluctuate that much, but they've got a goal. And once it hits that goal, oh, I've arrived. And you know what? When you stop and you reach that goal and the next day you, you haven't arrived. So you set a new goal, and every day you check it. We're neurotic. Some of you go, I wish I had a, 
uh, you know, something to check. Well, okay, then you're on the opposite end. You're like, I, I never saved anything. Okay, you can't, you can't go back in time. But what you can do is say, stuff isn't going to bring me joy. If I don't have a lot of stuff, I can still have joy. If I have a ton of stuff, that's not what my joy is based on. As a matter of fact, this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. Jesus said, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. But that's what our culture tells us. It says, get more, get more, get more, get more. And I know some of us who rail against the one percenters, right? The uber wealthy, the super rich, the Elon Musks of the world. They don't need that much. Anybody who says that, listen, look at their life. Most, I have not met anyone who says they don't need that much. And they, the person who's saying that has given everything away that they have. No, they keep buying more and more stuff. They just can't buy as much stuff as him. So he doesn't need that. She doesn't need that because they have more than me. They're, right? But they're not getting rid of anything. So they're telling those people what to do with their stuff, but they keep accumulating more of their own stuff. So we accumulate more and more and more. So as a matter of fact, so Jesus says this, right? Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Jesus says that, and then he goes on and tells this story, this parable about this rich man who had farms and, and fields, and, and he is just a great harvest came in. So what does he do? He says to himself, I'm going to build bigger barns so I can accumulate more stuff. I can have more stuff because then I'll have security. Then I'll have identity. Then I'll have fulfillment. Then I'll have joy. I'll have all the things that I really want. So he builds more barns and he has more stuff and he accumulates more and more stuff. And then God shows up and says, um, you know, you do realize that this evening, this very night, you're going to die. You've been a fool. Why has he been a fool? Not because he had stuff, but because he made stuff the source of his identity, of his joy, of his purpose, of his life. Nothing wrong with stuff. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, that God has blessed us richly with everything to enjoy. Enjoy stuff, but don't let stuff have you. Don't be controlled by stuff. I know some of you are saying, I don't accumulate a bunch of stuff. I'm a minimalist. Whenever I buy something new, I get rid of something old. Don't fool yourself. This is what most minimalists do, right? They buy something, six months later, they want that joy, that feeling, that sense of fulfillment, that euphoric moment of, I got something new. So what do they do? They buy something new, but then to fool themselves, they get rid of the old thing. Oh, I got rid of it. I don't, I don't accumulate a bunch of stuff, but you're still buying a bunch of stuff. Every time you hit buy it now, you get that rush. You go, oh, I get something new. It's coming. Oh, the UPS guy is there. FedEx. I mean, I got my ring set up so I know when they're there and I'm at work. And I, oh, I can't wait to get home. I know some of you are like, it's talking about me but I got rid of stuff, so I'm not a hoarder. It's not about being a hoarder. It's about saying what is driving you to accumulate more and more stuff, to have more and more experiences. I have to go on this trip. I have to go here. I have to experience that. I have to eat at this restaurant because you think it's going to bring you joy, but it doesn't last. So what happens when we try and attach our sense of joy, fulfillment to stuff? There's two there's two things I want to touch on here this morning. The first is this. If you think stuff is going to bring you joy, it can drive you into debt. Because, and I'm not talking about leverage debt if you own a business. I'm talking about consumer debt, where you swipe that credit card. And you swipe that credit card, and soon the balance is so big you can't pay the balance at the end of the month. So you pay you know, a little bit less than the balance and then a little bit less. And then eventually you're just making minimum payment and then you reach the balance limit. And so what do we do? We get open the mail and, and then, you know, Visa says you're at your spending limit, but American Express says we'll give you another card and then MasterCard. So we just buy more, get more and more cards, buy more and more stuff. And we have so much debt. 
Because we think if I have this experience, if I buy this thing, if I get this, then I'll have joy. But it doesn't last, so we keep chasing the joy. And then what happens is there's things that we really want to do, we need to do, that aren't just about chasing joy. It's about accomplishing God's plan and purpose for our life. And we say, I can't do that because I don't have money. No, you have money. You've spent your money chasing joy. And it's so sad because then the things that you really want to be able to do, you can't do. So if you, if you attach joy, fulfillment to stuff, it can drive you to debt. The other opposite end of it is this. It can drive you away from generosity. I know many, many people who have many, 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 many more dollars than I can probably ever hope to accumulate who give very, 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 very little to God, the things of God, or even in generosity at all. They've got it all, but it's their sense of security, their sense of identity. I've worked hard for this. This is mine. I deserve. I've got three vacation homes. I've got eight houses. I've got this. I've got that. I've got so much stuff. Why don't you give something? I'm not giving it. Are you out of your mind? Well, you don't need all that stuff. Yes, I do. You are controlled by stuff, right? Paul said Everything is permissible, not everything's beneficial. Everything's fine, but you're going to be controlled by something. You're either going to be controlled by God or you're going to be controlled by stuff. I just, just in between services, I was having a conversation and, and someone said to, to someone else, uh, it, was, it was a parent to a child, and the parent said, thinking of getting a different car, maybe I'll bless you with that car. And I'm thinking, that's generous. The child says to the parent, I can't afford to buy it from you. I looked and I said, your parent didn't just say they're going to sell you the car. They said they're going to bless you with it. I don't know if the parent was picking up what I was laying down, but I'm thinking I want to see this person in that car. Um, because I'll only sell it to my child. If you can afford to give it to him, give it to him. Bless them. You're not taking it with you? Oh, it's stuff. It's my stuff. I need my stuff. You're controlled by your stuff. So, what happens is we try and find our sense of joy, our identity, our fulfillment in our stuff. And then what happens is this. We end up saying, I want to do what I want to do because it makes me feel good. So we're driven by our feelings. So this is going to make me feel good, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to hit buy now, and it's going to make me feel better. I feel bad about my life, but I can just order DoorDash. I can't afford DoorDash. I could easily make my own dinner, but I don't want to make my own dinner. I'm going to order DoorDash, and it's going to show up, and I'm going to pay a fee, and I'm going to pay more, but I feel better about myself. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I deserve this. I work hard. I should be able to spend my money how I want. And Paul said, you can do anything you want with your money, but it may not be beneficial. It may not be helpful. And it may end up leading you into a place of bondage with your stuff. So what is it? Why do we so easily adapt and pick up and and grab hold of this cultural idea that says stuff will bring you joy? I believe there are a lot of reasons, but I believe probably the number one reason is because we love to compare our lives. They have this. I like their life. So if they have this and I like their life, if I have this, then my life will be like their life. They have this kind of car. I want that kind of car. They have this size TV. I want, they have this vacation. I want to go on this vacation. Whatever it is, we compare. We compare, we compare, we compare, and we say, I want what they have because what they have is what I want, but it's not really the stuff. It's the life. But here's the problem. The life they have isn't real. 
It's just what you see. Here's what Craig Rochelle, that's one of my favorite quotes. Craig Rochelle said this. He said, comparing will either make you feel inferior or superior, and neither honors God. I just had what they had. Their, their life is better than mine, and you feel like you're nothing. Or, man, look at how far I've come. Look at my success. Look at my portfolio. I had the courage to step out. I made all this happen. First of all, you didn't. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But, you know, then we feel arrogant and prideful. I'm better than them. No, you're not. It's just stuff. And you're not getting out of life with any of it. But that's how we live. So this is what comparison looks like. So here you are, and, and you're scrolling through Instagram, and oh, there's this family that you know. And there they are, mom and dad and the four kids. And they're sitting in the park. And there's this picnic blanket. In a basket. And everyone is color coordinated. Even the dog has the little scarf on. And in the basket, there's these homemade goodies. They're non-GMO. They're all organic. And they're frolicking. And the pictures are perfect. And the sunlight's coming through. It looks like a halo on the kid's head. And then the, and then the caption says, such a beautiful day. We decided at the last minute a trip to the park was needed. We even made homemade goodies to boot. And at that point... You're going, really? I wish my life was like that. That, you hear this sound, and you turn, and there's your two-year-old ripping their diaper off. <laughs> the five-year-old has got the Doritos and the Cheetos squishing them into the carpet. The dog won't stop barking, and your spouse is in the bathroom trying to unclog the toilet. And you're going, my, my this life. How come we don't ever go to the park? <laughs> or you're scrolling through and there's this family. Oh, they just redid their kitchen. It's beautiful. It looks like a farmhouse. Hashtag Magnolia Magic. <laughs> Inspired by Joanna Gaines. You look around, your light bulbs are flickering, the oven doesn't work, only the fridge works, the freezer stopped working years ago. And you're, can't have that life. But what we know is that what you see there or when you go to their house and everything's perfect, what we don't do is open the closets, right? Because if you open the closet, you might see real life. We don't see real life. What we don't know is that they don't know how to, how am I going to pay my second mortgage to have this Magnolia-inspired kitchen? I mean, I need a shiplap. If you don't have shiplap, you know, it's no good. Uh, so how do they pay that? Or, or they just went to the park and they're fighting and arguing, because basically 90% of the time they don't see their kids because their mom and dad are both working 80 hours a week. But they show up, they take the picture, and everything looks great. My, my in-laws have this picture on their wall of my wife and her brother. Her brother's about three years older than her. And it's from when they were little. I think my wife was about three, her brother was about five or so. And, um, and it's just, I mean, it's just angelic. Here they are, She's, they're sitting on this hillside, on this rock out in nature. I mean, you can almost hear the birds chirping. And she's got her just head ever so gently resting on his shoulder. And, he, and she's got this angelic look. She always has that, still to this day. Uh, her brother just looks so innocent, and he never looks innocent to this day. Um, and it's this beautiful picture. And then you talk to the, the, them about it, or you talk to my wife about it, she'll say, yeah, about three minutes before that, we're fighting, we're yelling, we're, we're not, we hate each other. Her mother's like, just be, be nice for one second. <laughs> oh. 
right? We know that we compare our lives to what's not real. And yet we say, this is what I want, but it's not real. Because that's not real life. So we compare, and it drives us thinking, that will somehow bring me joy. And when it doesn't, we chase after more and more stuff, bigger stuff, nicer stuff, bigger bank accounts, more vacation homes, more vacations, more houses, more cars, and it never delivers. So what is it that God says? If culture says stuff will bring you joy, what does God say? God says this. God says contentment will bring you joy. And as someone said to me in between services, and you know what is the enemy of contentment? You know what kills contentment? Envy, comparing. It will kill it every time. Contentment. Contentment doesn't mean you don't have ambitions, you don't have goals, you don't have drive, you don't work hard, you don't try to accomplish things. That's not what contentment means at all. Contentment means until or if that happens, I'm content with what I have. If God provides more, if I work hard and a new door opens, if I'm blessed in some way, great, wonderful. If you can grow your business and be successful, great, but don't base your joy on the success of your business. All it takes is one hiccup in the market and all of a sudden you go, I got no joy. So contentment says if I have a lot, I'm content and I'm joyful. If I have a little, I can be content and joyful. It doesn't matter. This is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to have joy, you want to have great joy, you want to have purpose in your life, you want to have meaning, you want to have settleness, you don't have to striving after things all the time. Find contentment. God may bless you with more wonderful. If he does, enjoy it. But don't make it about accumulating more and more and more stuff. So what is one of the things we need to do in order to keep from uh, just chasing after stuff? How do we grow in contentment? How do we say, okay, if I, if I have this and this is all I have, I can have joy in my life. If God blesses and I have more, I can have joy in my life. If the Lord takes away and I'm over here, I can have joy in my life. So I want to give you a, um, a strategy to learn to grow in contentment. I'm gonna, I was on a cruise. I told you I was on a cruise. And on cruises, they have comedians. Uh, and some of them are funny. Some of them are not. Um, most of them aren't Christians, and so they use words that you probably don't normally hear at church, but I'm going to use one of those words. Um, and so I know some of you are going to be offended. I don't care. Um, so don't email me. Email Pastor Andy A. Salino. He will be delighted not to care either. Um, but I am going to use a bad word, and, and please understand, uh, it's not in the Bible. I know that this word is not in the Bible, um, but it's, it's important. So here it is. You want to grow in contentment, it means learning to live within, here it is, there's the bad word, budget. <laughs> we don't want a budget. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. Remember I said we want to be led by our feelings. This makes me feel good. I need this. I need to go get my nails done. No, you don't. You want to get your nails done because it makes you feel good, but you can't afford to get your nails done. But I'm going to get my nails done anyway, and then I'm going to complain that I can't pay my bills, and I'm going to say to you, stop getting your nails done. What does your budget say? It doesn't have a line item for nails. It has a line item for heat, right? So pay your heat bill and don't do your nails. But I need to get my nails done. It makes me feel good, right? But you're being led by your feelings. You can't be led by your feelings. You have to be led by something different. So the Bible doesn't use the word budget. There's no, I, I have looked. I have not found it in any translation. I have made up translations. Um, and I haven't been able to work, find the word budget. Um, but there's an idea about budget in the Bible, a lot of them. And, and so I want to share one verse that 
pertains to this. And here it is. It's in Proverbs. It says, where there is no vision. Now, that word vision isn't um, like a corporate business vision plan. People use it like that all the time. It's not what it means. It actually means if, where there is no divine revelation, where, the, where God hasn't spoken and given you direction in how to order your life. And if you're not ordering your life that way, if you're not doing that, you get out of control. But when you live within that process, that vision, that revelation, you'll be happy. So what that's saying is, what is a budget? A budget is a vision. A budget is a goal. A budget says, this is how I'm going to allocate my money. And when you live that way, you'll be joyful. You'll be happy. If you don't, you'll end up going, where did all my money go? I don't, I don't know where it went because you're out of control, because you're living by feelings. You're living by what you want and not what God has said. This is my plan and purpose for your life. So you need a budget. Now listen to me. This is very, 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 very important. If you're married, you budget together. I work. She stays at home. It's my money. Shame, shame, shame. Don't ever say that. I know what she's thinking. You, know, you work. I stay at home. It's my money. Shame, shame, shame. No. The Bible says the two will be one. It doesn't matter who's earning the paycheck. It's your money together. We live with this idea that somehow we get married and we can maintain our independence. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You cannot. It doesn't mean you have to lose your sense of individual uh, identity. You're still you, but you come together. You have shared vision, shared goals, shared purpose. So you come together. What if you both work, right? Can't he have his account and she has her account? No, it all together. I ain't no man going to tell me what to do. She's not going to tell me how to spend my money. Nobody should be telling anybody anything. It's called communicating. Pastor Andy talked about marriages last week. You talk, you communicate, you say, what is it that we want to do? What is it that God's placed on our hearts? You pray about it. You have a shared vision, a shared budget. You work together. Nobody's telling anybody, but what happens is when you really start talking, communicating, listening, all of a sudden, see, money is like a magnifying glass. What it does is it shows you things that are in your spouse's heart that you couldn't see. So you start talking about money, and all of a sudden what you really hear, if you're really listening, is some of your spouse's hopes, dreams, fears, insecurities, some of the things that they, they wish for. And all of a sudden, together, as you pray and you seek God for that vision, you say, this is how we can accomplish that. So we're not living for the immediate. You're living for a purpose. So you need to work together. If, listen, one of the biggest causes of divorce in our culture today is finances. But it's because one or both of you are not operating by God's financial philosophy. Because what I know is this, if you follow God's financial philosophy, it will bring your marriage together, not tear it apart. But you both have to be in on it. It's not one person dictating to the other, you are doing this together. So culture says stuff will bring you joy. God says contentment will bring you joy. Culture also says this. Culture says your value is based on what you have. If you have a lot, you're valuable. If you went on this experience, you're valuable. If you went on this trip, you have great value. If you have multiple investment portfolios, look at your value. 
If you didn't go on that trip, if you didn't have that experience, if you only own one house and it's not over 4,000 square feet, it's only you know 1,500 square feet, then your value isn't very good. If the car you drive has too many miles on it and too many years, then you don't have a lot of value. We base our value on our stuff, and God says, this, it's ridiculous. If your, stuff, if your value is based on your stuff, then what happens when your stuff is gone? I mean, stuff is elusive. It's here. It's gone. It's, it's, you have a lot. You have nothing. I mean, right? It's, that's not what your value is. But that's what we do. We say, my value is based on my stuff. God doesn't say that. God says, your value is based on who you are. So what you need to remember is this. Your self-worth is not your net worth. It's not, it's not, it's not. If you have a big net worth, wonderful. But that doesn't make you more valuable. God's blessed you. He's entrusted things to you. We're going to talk next week about uh, being a, 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 putting God first in your finances. He's trusted you with things, but that's not your value. And if you don't have a lot, if right now you're struggling, that's not your value either. See, what culture says is if you have a lot, if you do a lot, if you've accomplished a lot, you have great value. But this is what God says. God says your value is based on who you are, period. Or probably exclamation point. Because you are so valuable, God bankrupted heaven. And he sent his very best for you. He says, I, I love you so much. Your stuff will come and go. It's not your value. Your value is who you are. I created you with a plan and a purpose. The Bible says God delights in us. God says when he thinks about us, he dances and says, oh my gosh, I just, I have a plan and a purpose. I created you. I am so full of joy and excitement over your life. And we go, if I only had more money, if I only had more stuff, if I had more clothes, if I had a nicer watch, I'd like a nicer watch. Um, if, I, if I had a newer, no, well, we, that will somehow make me more, more valuable than God says. I couldn't make you any better. As a matter of fact, this is what the psalmist wrote. I love this. It says, I will give you thanks, O God, because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. I know some of you say, I don't feel awesome. I don't look wonderful. I look in the mirror and I see someone who's got too many pounds, too many wrinkles, too many gray hairs. I'm too short. I'm too tall. I'm not what I want to be. Uh, my clothes don't fit right. I, I don't feel awesome. Some of you say, I don't believe I'm wonderful. I, I'm a bad communicator. Every time I try and speak, it comes out wrong. People make fun of me. My mind doesn't work. I can't organize my thoughts. I know what I want to say, but I have a hard time communicating. Nobody likes me. I have no friends. I have no, there's nothing wonderful and awesome about me. I mean, sure, it's easy for you, pastor. You're up there on stage. I don't know, but I'm telling you, you're awesome and wonderfully made, not because of what you have outwardly, not because of your bank account, not because of your portfolio, not because of your stuff, but when we adopt culture's way of thinking, then we're in bondage, not only to our stuff, but we're in bondage to our own lives because we say I'm not good enough. I have no value, and it's like chasing after the wind. God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for me. He wants you to know that he has a great plan and a purpose for your life. And if you're walking with an abundance, be generous with it. If you don't have a lot right now, God loves you because everything in this world is temporary. When Jesus comes back and we cast off gravity and we are caught up and meet him in the sky, every hindrance will be gone. All those things that hold us back, that make us neurotic, that say, I'm not good enough, I have no value, is going to be left behind. Oh, 
And those of you who think you have so much and you're of such great value because you're rich, you know what? You're leaving all that behind. You don't get to go up and halfway up say, hold on, let me call my stockbroker and make sure my investments are going to be in heaven. That's not how it works. You've already made your investments in heaven and it's not with what you did uh, with, with your investment portfolio. It's your generosity with God. We're going to talk about that next week. But your value isn't based on that. Your value isn't who God says you are. I'm going to do a whole, after this, I'm doing a whole series called I Am. And it's not about God being the great I Am. It's who does God say I am? Who does God say you are? Because that is so very important to being able to serve and live for God and walk in his purpose and plan for your life. But when it comes to your finances and your financial philosophy, you can adopt, adopt uh, and adopt what culture says. And you'll end up in bondage to stuff. Stuff will control you. Or you can adopt what God says. Take on his financial philosophy. And he'll control your life. But here's what I know. God's financial philosophy will help you choose between what feels good and what is good. God says, I want good things for you. Stop thinking it's about stuff. You're going to do what feels good all the time. The problem is you're going to be in bondage to trying to chase a feeling of good. If I have enough, if I earn enough, if I go enough, I need a bigger TV, a newer car. God says, I want you to know what is good. What is good is me. If I've blessed you and you have an abundance, be generous with it. If right now you're in a lean time, I'm still good. Be generous. And trust me. Live according to my purpose. When you're standing on Walmart, shoveling snow, and you go, I don't have a lot right now. Don't chase after the wind. I could just get that, that paycheck. I'd be happy. I don't think you will. You'll have a moment of joy. And then real life hits. Don't make it about chasing after stuff. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would move in our hearts. Oh God, if we've made mistakes and we have regrets, from what, what we've done in the past with our finances, help us to experience your grace, your forgiveness. They're mistakes, but they don't define us. God, if we've had success and we have an abundance and we have more money than we know what to do with, oh God, don't let that define us. Thank you for blessing. Thank you for providing. Help us to realize that we can live serving you, that you're our source, source of everlasting joy that what we have is meant to be used to bless others. God, I'm asking right now that you would move. I just sense in my spirit, I did the first service I do now, that there are some people who just are so caught up in their sense of value. They attach so much of it to what they see in the mirror. They attach so much of it to what they see on their, uh, in their bank account, in their investment portfolio. So they have a lot or they have nothing. God, forgive us. Pour your grace by your Holy Spirit right now. I just want to ask you, if you, if you would say, I'm, I'm struggling. It may be in finances. It may be with how you look at finances. And I want to invite you as we play and sing these next songs and continue to celebrate God, that I encourage you to come forward. Let someone pray with you. Let them pray for you. Let them stand with you and believe God 
for something great. I'm going to ask if you'd stand with me now. We're going to continue to worship God. We're going to have prayer teams up here. And if you'd like prayer, please come forward now.